Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Kane of Supers family. I'd just like to start off today by saying a big thanks to everyone who's still tuning in and still listening to these podcasts. Life's got in the way a little bit lately, and especially on the long-form weekend pods, and I know it's really been a tough year, both just in life and also for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I sit here recording this after another blowout loss to the Charlotte Hornets, so tonight was no different, and uh, yeah, if you're the range as I am, and you still persist with this team and show love to this podcast, I'm honestly very grateful, and hopefully we get to see this ship turn around even just slightly soon enough. Today, we are back with the what do those stats mean. If it's your first time listening to these mini-episodes, the point is just to pass through some statistics provide some deeper context to them and, and pull the curtain back a little bit more than just the number itself that you see on the screen or on your page. On this episode, we're going to talk about Carl Anthony Towns' touches and how the number isn't necessarily indicative of the changes that have been made to the offense. And then after that, we'll examine Minnesota's pull-up shooting woes and, and how badly it is hindering the team through the first uh, sorry, through this brutal nine-game losing skid that, we, that we're on right now as we head into the All-Star break. So let's start with Towns. Uh, the way Chris Finch has been using him since he took over as head coach, specifically how many times he's touching the ball, that's what I want to focus on. First off, I want to make it clear that NBA.com's stats site takes a little while to update their tracking data after every game. So these numbers are for the first four games as Finch's tenure. And don't include tonight's obliteration at the hand of the at the hands of the Hornets. So, here's the numbers. Before Finch took over, Towns averaged 67.5 touches of the ball through the first 15 games that he played in. In the first four games since the coaching change, that number dips slightly to 66.3 touches. Now, on the surface, that seems a bad thing, right? Like, Towns needs the ball for this to work in any way, shape, or form. Town needs, Towns needs the ball for this to work. And Finch and, and Gerson Roses and the rest of the Twitter sphere, including myself, has been preaching how this hiring will help empower Towns and, and take him above the strange background role he was beginning to feature in during the end of that Saunders era. All of that is correct, uh, but I think it's missing a bunch of context. And the most important thing to me anyway is is where and how Cat is touching the ball. Under Saunders, far too many of those 67.5 touches were coming via ball reversals and, and meaningless dribble handoffs that had no secondary action or plan to involve Towns in a scoring position. Sure, the ball was constantly filtering through him, but it wasn't actually helping him. 
Most of the time, those top-of-the-key weave actions would end up in Towns handing it off to Malik Beasley or handing it off to Anthony Edwards or Ricky Rubio and then going and setting them a screen and going to the pick-and-roll or pick-and-pop. That would promptly return nil. It, it would end up with one of those guys coming off the screen, not looking back at Towns and, and launching up a shot. In these past five games, again, four of those which have the touches tracked on NBA.com. Towns is getting the ball in areas where he can survey the floor, he can pass the cutters, or he can choose to face up or back down his man in order to get a good look at a shot or a good look at a pass. Before Finch, Cat was averaging 8.5 post-ups a game. That's up to 9.3, which is probably close enough of a mark to just call it a draw. But the important aspect here is getting Towns the ball at the elbow. If you read my, my latest film room piece over at Chain of Supers this week, you'll know that Chris Finch loves sinking his claws into big men who can pass and situating them at the corner of the free throw line or the elbow. He was doing it when Nikola Jokic broke out and started his path towards the MVP candidate that we see today. And he was doing it with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins when they formed that formidable twin tower duo in New Orleans. Now he's doing it with Cat. Towns averaged just 2.5 elbow touches a night under Saunders this season. That number has more than doubled to 5.3 with Finch, and I'd suggest that the number would balloon again when tonight's game is logged into those numbers. The reason I think this is so, so super important is because that position of the floor opens up so much for Towns. We've already seen countless occasions in these past five games where he's slung passes to corner shooters or facing up and banging with his back to the basket. We, we've we seen him whip dimes around when he when he's facing up towards the rim or, or when he's got his back to the basket. We've seen him do the same thing, past the cutters, past the Jared Vanderbilt in the dunker spot, all that stuff. We, we've seen it way more than we ever have under under Saunders. Uh, on top of that, we, we know that Cat can hit that mid-range jumper if they sag off him and play the pass. And we know that he can obviously get into into post-up scoring actions where he can hit hooks with either hands or little fadeaway mid-range jumpers as well. Obviously, he still needs to spend a ton of time above the break hunting for three-pointers. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I think it's malpractice not to use him as a shooter coming off screens and and really leverage that otherworldly shooting ability that that he possesses. But I do think that elbow cat is a step in the right direction toward utilizing him the right way. Right now, it's they're, they're, it's baby steps, but they're getting there. Uh, they, he needs to shoot more threes. He's only shooting just over five threes a game under Finch, which is still above the 4.7 three-point attempts per night he had under, Sa- under Saunders. But it re- really would be good to get him back up towards that eight number that he was at last year. He was at 7.93s a game last year, hit over 40%. Towns, admittedly, is in a slump lately. He's shooting under 30% from three uh, since Finch took over. I don't think that's anything to do with the the system. I think it's more just that Cat himself is in a slump. The, the team's obviously horrible at the moment. He, he looks a little bit deflated, which after the year that he's been through and then coming back to this team and the way they're playing it it really is understandable uh and i think if i think he's still adjusting to being that guy at the elbow uh to being that guy who 
who scores from that part of the floor and who makes plays from that part of the floor while still maintaining the the elite efficiency that he's held throughout his entire career. So some of this is on Cat to to do better, but right now I think they are definitely taking the baby steps towards making Cat the best version of himself and leveraging him as a passer is definitely a part of that. We, as I said, we've seen what Nikola Jokic is doing as the passer. Obviously, he's he's a much better passer than Towns, but we've seen what he can do for an offense by running the ball through him. We saw what Cousins and Davis can do. Uh, we see bigs all around the league now who really who really pass well. If you think about Marcus Sol in, in Los Angeles, obviously he's not the high volume guy that that he once was, or uh, the high volume guy that Towns definitely is right now. But if you watch Gasol at the elbow. They run the play. They run plays through him, even with LeBron James on the floor, even with Anthony Davis on the floor. You can run an offense through Marcus at the elbow because he has that passing ability. Uh, back cutters really thrive uh, in a system that that promotes elbow touches for the bigs and, and bigs who can pass. So right now, I think it's the right way, and I and I don't think that if you see those touches numbers, I don't think that you should get discouraged by them because it's how they, how he's getting those touches that's important. And, and right now, that they are doing the right thing. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, stat number two. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, so for the second and final stat of the episode, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the pull-up shooting and just how awful it's been during this last stretch of games. First, I think it's important to lay out how Minnesota has looked for the season as a whole. So far, through 36 games, the Wolves have been very much middle of the pack in terms of pull-up three-point shooting. They take 9.7 a game, which ranks as the 12th most lead-wide, and they make 34.1% of those 97 which is the 17th best clip in the association. Again, it's it's nothing special, but it's definitely not the worst Wolves stat that you could find out there on, on the interwebs. But those numbers really started to deteriorate when D'Angelo Russell went down with his knee injury, and they've absolutely fallen off a cliff since Malik Beasley joined him on the sidelines to serve that 12-game suspension. Since Russell went down, the attempts have dropped from 9.7 to 8.3 a night, and the percentage has dropped from that 17th ranked 34.1% to 20th ranked 31.3%. Then, over the past three games without D'Lo and Malik, they've been putting up just six pull-up threes a game and converting on a ghoulish 27.3%. Russell, Russell was the big one. For all the things that have been deservedly or undeservedly said about D'Lo this season, he's been nothing short of an elite three-point shooter off the bounce. He he himself is shooting 4.4 a game, which is pretty close to half of Minnesota's total team attempts. And he's knocking down 42% of those. For a point of reference, there's 13 players in the league who are taking more than four a game. That's guys like Steph Curry, 
Luka Doncic, James Harden, Damian Lillard, all of those you know elite shooters that they're the guys who take more than four four pull up threes a game. Of those thirteen dudes, only CJ McCollum shoots a better percentage than than D'Angelo Russell. Then you have Malik Beasley, who's only taking half as many as Russell at just two point two a game, but still hitting a storching forty point five percent. Again, he's one of just 55 players taking over two a game, and only eight of those 55 players are hitting at a better clip than Malik Beasley. In, in short, it's a pretty big thing to be missing two of the best off-the-bounce three-point shooters in the league. Those two alone generate just under 15 points a night from pull-up shooting. The reason I'm rambling on about this is because, to me, being able to warp defenses with the ability to step into shots off the dribble is one of the most important aspects of a successful offense. For one, it forces a defender to try and fight over screens consistently, which means when that defender gets knocked off, inevitably, because screen setters are just very good in the NBA these days, that means driving lanes open up for both the ball handler and the roll man. It really does leave you in a four-on-five situation, even for that split second. And that's very important for guys in the NBA who can obviously make split-second decisions and make the right one, make the right reads all the time. It also means that off-ball defenders are going to instinctually get sucked towards the ball and help on-ball defenders from the nail. When guys can shoot that well, players who are watching the ball, ball-watching off-ball guys who who don't even know that they're taking two, three, four steps towards the ball just just on instinct, they're, they're getting sucked in right there. They're, they're coming from the nail and they're helping. And that leads to easy reads for the ball handler and open catch-and-shoot opportunities for those standstill shooters on the wing. And obviously those things are just super, super important for an offense. And they come so easily just purely through the gravity that an impactful pull-up shooter provides. So, for Minnesota right now, instead of having that offensive firepower, they have (laughs) virtually nothing. Only Jordan McLaughlin and Anthony Edwards are taking more than one a game since Beasley's suspension was handed down. It's obviously only been three games, but McLaughlin is shooting 40% on 1.7 a night. That's quite good. 1.7 a night is not a tiny number. It's also not not that high volume that that we were talking about earlier with with that 55-player group who who do shoot more pull-up threes than average. But still, 40% on 1.7 a night, uh, it, it's it's very respectable from John McLaughlin. If only in three games, still respectable. But then the only other guy taking more than one a night is Anthony Edwards, who's shooting 20% on five tries a game. 20% on five a night. There is plenty of blame to go on Edwards' shoulders for settling for shots that he can't yet make and for not driving to the rim enough. You know, if you've been on Wolves Twitter or if you've watched the game, I'm sure you've said this to yourself or you've read someone else say it, but someone needs to be a pull-up threat. Your offense cannot function properly without that threat. So the Wolves are left with Edwards, a rookie, a rookie who shoots under 40% from the field, shooting five pull-up threes a night and hitting one of them on average. It's just not sustainable, and it's certainly not fun to watch. Like, you've watched the games lately, they're they're not fun. And Anthony Edwards, for all the fun he is off the court and for all the fun things he does on on the court, shooting pull-up threes is not yet one of them. 
And as I said, you, you just cannot win games unless you have a pull-up three-point shooter. You look around the lead at, at the teams who who do it the most and who shoot the most pull-up shots. And we're looking at Philadelphia, one of the best team in the East right now. Memphis Grizzlies, another team that's pushing for playoffs. You've got teams up there. Los Angeles Lakers are up there. Phoenix, Clippers, Denver. Like, if you... You know, and then you, you go over to three-point percentage on those pull-up threes, and you've got Utah at the top, Indiana, Golden State, Brooklyn Nets, Portland Trailblazers, Bulls, Nuggets, Bucks. That's playoff teams, man, or at least teams on the precipice of the playoffs. <laughs> and when you don't have that threat, and when you're consistently shooting under 30% on pull-up threes a night and on very low volume, it just becomes impossible to win. <laughs> and right now we are certainly seeing that it is impossible to win for the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are getting blown out nightly. And as much as I think it's fair to to lump some of that blame on, on the coaching change on, and, you know, on, on just the, the roster that's in flux at the moment, it's it's also a lot to do with the injuries and it's a lot to do with the personnel that they had even before the injuries. They don't have anyone who can step into that role of a Malik Beasley or of a D'Angelo Russell as someone who can warp defenses with pull-up shooting. Jalen Noel is the guy I can think of who might be able to do it, but he's very raw and he's still learning how to how to play within himself, let alone a guy who, who really carries the, the off-the-dribble shooting for a team. So right now, a- until you get one or both of these guys back or they they change something where they can get someone into more pull-up shots, maybe Jordan McLaughlin, maybe Jalen Noel... Things might just not change, man. It's just going to be tough for this offense to function, and um, I think I think we'll just leave it at that, which is a pretty sour note to leave it on. But I really do hope you've enjoyed these these quick little mini episodes, and they just give you give you something to think about as as you watch the next game. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Painting. Please send me a DM um, with any feedback or anything you want to hear, a stat you want to hear, and I'll be sure to get to it. And of course, every like or share, rating or subscription, they're always very appreciated and they help the show grow. So um, yeah, see you guys next time.